1: to me you ever realize how many thing do how many people do extremely bizarre things in the name of God or a God a clear thing that came to my mind is how about the person who professes to be a Christian he professes to be a Christian but he goes to an abortion clinic and he kills people in the name of God now he deduces well you know God told us that we shouldn't murder abortion is murder and then he murders people does it doesn't make sense? People do bizarre things in the name of God. History
0: is full of people who believed they were carrying out God's will for the world, but their methods and actions were just the opposite. As Pastor Dave warns in today's message, be ready to test the actions of anyone who claims to be serving God against the truth of Scripture and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 7. As he continues his message, The Persecution Begins. You are
1: sure. You have a passion for Christ that exceeds that of anything else in your life? What truly is your passion? We saw this passion as we looked at the first part of Acts. We saw this passion in Peter when he stood before the Sanhedrin and, and his, gave his first sermon and 3,000 people were saved. We saw this passion in Stephen who was faithful even to death with the message and the passion that he had. We just finished studying that. <laughs> we spoke of George Whitefield last a couple of weeks ago. There's a story that when he was preaching in Edinburgh, that the people would get out of their beds at 5 o'clock in the morning to go hear him preach. They would get out of their beds at 5 o'clock in the morning to go hear him preach. But there was this one man, his name was David Hume. He was a Scottish philosopher and he was a skeptic. Well, he was on his way, he was one of those on his way at 5 o'clock in the morning to go to the church to hear Whitefield. He met up with a colleague of his. The colleague looked at him and said, I didn't think you believed in the gospel. He looked at him and replied, I don't, but Whitefield does. He knew there was something in Whitefield because Whitefield believed what he was saying. When you say the gospel message to someone, do people believe that you believe what you're saying? Are you believable when you share the gospel message with them? Do you believe what you say? It's true. Think about it. Man, that's that's really soul-searching. I've done some soul-searching on this, and when you say you believe in Jesus Christ, well, can I say that, and can people look at me and go, yeah, that guy believes. See, the message they had was simple, but the demand on the messenger is really serious. It's really, really serious. To withstand what was about to happen to the apostles and to the disciples, they had to believe in what they said. They had to believe the Word of God. They had to have it in a reality, and they had to have passion. Because what was coming, trust me, people, is not very nice. I read the list of you of how they were all martyred last week. What's coming, what's on the head in the future for these people is not pleasant at all. We saw it happen in Stephen. So as we begin this next section of the book of Acts, the mission continues. And the disciples are on with the message from God to go forth from Jerusalem. But they're not just going forth lollygagging. They're chased out. They are chased out by a hunter. And this hunter hunts them like a ravaged wolf hunts a prey. He hunts them because he's a persecutor and he's a zealot for God. And in case you don't know, the man's name is Saul of Tarsus. And his personal quest was to rid Israel of this way. Get rid of it completely. And we begin in Acts 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At the time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except for the apostles. We first met this gentleman, Saul, back in chapter or chapter 7, verse 58. Back in chapter 7, and verse 58, he was... Taking the people's clothes as they were stoning Stephen, and he was lay, they were laying them down at his feet, and he was basically watching over the clothes, you know, as the stoning was take place. But we start to learn more. The scripture says he was consenting to his death. His death is Stephen's death. Paul was consenting, and you know I like to dabble in Greek. I like to look what the true meaning of the word is. I think it's a lot of fun, and we really can glean from that what the scripture is really saying. Well, bear with me here, but the Greek word here is sunio doheo. Mm-hmm. It means to feel gratification, to be pleased with or have pleasure with. Paul enjoyed watching Stephen die. Paul received, Saul received pleasure watching Stephen die. That's what it's referring to. That's how much Saul hated Christians. That's how much Saul was against what was happening. So who is this Saul Tarsus? Who is this guy? Remember, I've always said, and I will always contend, that the very best commentary of Scripture is Scripture. So I've got a billion Scriptures here where Paul basically introduces himself. First of all, we know in Acts 2, verse 3, that he was born in Sicilia. Philippians 3, verse 5, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In Acts 23, verse 6, he was a son of a Pharisee. In Acts 16, verses 37, he was a Roman citizen. He was educated in Jerusalem by Gamaliel. We found that out in Acts 22, verse 3. He became a devoted Pharisee. We found that out in Acts 26, 4 and 5. When you measure Paul by the law, he was blameless. It says that in Philippians 3, verse 6. He was one of the most promising young Pharisees in Jerusalem, and he was well on his way to becoming a great leader in the Jewish faith. You can find that out in Galatians 1, 14. Saul's zeal for the law was displayed most vividly in the persecution of the church, it says in Galatians 1, 13 and 14. He really thought that persecuting the believers in this way was his way of serving God. He really thought that he was serving God as he was doing this. And he says he did it in a clear conscience. We find this out in 2 Timothy 1, 3. He believed what he was doing was right for God, and this is scary to me. This is scary to me. Do you ever realize how many, thing do, how many people do extremely bizarre things in the name of God or a God? Clear thing that came to my mind is how about the person who professes to be a Christian? He professes to be a Christian, but he goes to an abortion clinic and he kills people in the name of God. Now he deduces, well, you know, God told us that we shouldn't murder. Abortion is murder. And then he murders people. It doesn't make sense. People do bizarre things in the name of God. You've all heard of the Spanish Inquisition? Did you know that as late as 1850, there were human sacrifices in Burma? How about the Salem Witch Trials or the Mormon Mormon Massacre? Hitler even thought he was doing God's work. And who could forget the Crusades? All done in the name of God. All done thinking they were doing God's call. People can be led to do some pretty bizarre things in the name of God, or a God. But this great persecution that broke out against the church was led by none other than this Saul. Satan had found his man. Satan had found the man that would finally carry out what Satan had planned all along, the silencing of this church. Satan was probably rubbing his hands together, I got my boy now. Yeah, just look at him go. Yeah, you liked that guy dying, didn't you? That was fun. Well, I'm going to show you a lot more things. Here we go. Satan probably thought he had it all locked in and this church thing was going to go away. It's interesting that in verse 1, the word here used for scattered is diaspiro, where we get the word dispersion. This sometimes is called a great dispersion. But it's interesting when you follow the meaning of the word here for dispersion, it actually means to sow throughout or to distribute in foreign lands. What happens when you sow the Word of God? What happens when you go and you sow the Word of God? You've read the parable of the sower. You know what happens? This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, verse 10. He says, For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth the bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's word. They were sowing the word. As the dispersion was happening, they were sowing the word. You know, it has been said that the church may have never ever moved out of Jerusalem had it not been for Stephen's death. Some believe that the church was so comfortable that God had to make Stephen's death happen to get them moving. He had to get this guy Paul going. Because after Stephen's death, this persecution intensified. Perhaps they were too comfortable. Perhaps the witnessing was not on the forefront of their minds. Perhaps they forgot about what the Lord said, Judea, Samaria, the outermost portions of the world. The gospel had great success in Jerusalem. The gospel had saturated Jerusalem, and many, many, many people in Jerusalem had come to the Lord because of their witness. But maybe they had forgotten the end of Acts 1, verse 8. Was this persecution the will of God? God can use and will use pressing circumstances to guide us into his will. He will use different circumstances to get us to do what he wants us to do. When everything is fine, we may never consider going to a certain course. When the crisis opens our eyes to that course, sometimes we have to be shaken out of our comfortable spot to be moved by God. This happened to Beatrice and I. Happened to Beatrice and I when we were in Ocean City. We'd been in Ocean City for about 17 years. We'd been serving the Lord up there, and things seemed to be closing down. And I felt the nudge. I felt the Lord wanting to move me, but oh, I loved Ocean City. I loved being there. I didn't really want to move. Until one night, I got a phone call from my landlady. And the landlady, we started talking, and she says, you know, um, I'm going to raise the rent. And I said, okay, how much are you going to raise the rent? And she was rating it some exuberant amount. And I said, we can't afford that. She goes, well, okay, you'll have to leave. Okay, well, then we'll leave. It was, this, was, this was the beginning of March, or this was, no, the, the end of March. And I said, okay, well, we'd like to stay through the summer. She goes, how about April? March, April. She said, yeah, can you be out in 30 days? So I went, well, I. So we looked around. We looked all over the place. We couldn't find anything. We had started fellowshipping up in Vineland. And when I was getting involved in the ministry up there and stuff like that, we didn't think we'd ever be able to buy a house. We ended up in Vineland, and there was this house. And all of a sudden, we walked in, and we looked at it. We loved it. We know the Lord wanted it for us. We thought we would buy it. We closed April 30th. We stayed up there for seven years before we came down here. We used that house, and many, many people, including our dear sister, Marsha Hess, lived with us for years in that house. And, and we had so many people come through that house. That house was used to have people come in and live with us because they didn't have a place to stay, they didn't have a place to go. We'd have never left Ocean City had we not been pushed out. We'd have never followed God to Vineland if we had been, hadn't, hadn't been pushed out. So we never know what the Lord has planned for us. We never know what he wants to do with us. And sometimes he wants us to move and we have our feet dug in and we don't want to move. Sometimes he has to push us. And sometimes he uses circumstances like this to push us because his will will be done. And that's what we want in in our lives. And he works all things together for good. Stephen's death would accomplish what the Lord had desired it would accomplish. Stephen's death would accomplish exactly what the Lord wanted it to do. And Stephen... Is already glorified with the Lord Jesus in heavenly places now, as all this starts to take place because of the persecution that happened in Stephen's heart, that happened in the in, in, in the apostles and the disciples. And we read in verse 2, it says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over her. This shows their true love and devotion to this man Stephen. You know it was against the law at that time to make great lamentation over somebody who had been executed. Stephen had been executed. He was pronounced guilty, and and they won an execution by the Sanhedrin. So he was guilty, but they made great lamentation over. You know, as a Christian, we we don't mourn as those without hope. As Christians, we have eternal life and eternal everlasting, and the life that we have with Jesus Christ, and those of us who have Christian friends and Christian loved ones who go on before this, we're, we're, we're secure in the fact that they're there. But there's pain when someone dies. There's pain when a loved one leaves, even if they do know Christ. And what I read here is it's okay to have lamentation over that person because you miss them, because you love them, and because they're not here anywhere to share. That doesn't mean your heart is not joyous because you know where they are. That doesn't mean that your heart is not filled with God's love. It just means that you've missed them, and that's okay. Sometimes I think we need to walk around with this smile on our face thinking everything's okay when we need to be real. We need to be real. Real. Scripture says weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Come alongside those people and go, you know, man, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm right here for you, right beside you. Stephen's death might seem meaningless at first glance. You know, his young ministry of power and eloquence was cut so abruptly short. His ministry might have ended in failure, so we might think, but no one was immediately saved after Stephen's death. There wasn't a thousand that came forward in a mass, you know, salvation after Stephen died. No. Persecution happened after Stephen's death. So what else happened was his, was his death a failure. But the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the first church. The blood of the martyrs became God's seed for the first church. And you know, I couldn't get, F, get, get away with one day without having a quote from Spurgeon. Sorry. He says, never did the church so prosper and so truly thrive as when she was baptized in blood. The ship of the church never sails so gloriously along as when the bloody spray of her martyrs falls on her deck. We must suffer, we must die if we are ever going to conquer this world for Christ. The cost of following hard after Christ is expensive. The cost can be the greatest cost there is. And why shouldn't it? How much did God hold back from you? How much did God hold back from me? Not a thing. Nothing. Why should I hold anything back from him? Why should I hold any of my being back from him? What, what, what purpose does it serve? In verse 3 it says, that, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. We don't get a very picture of, pretty picture of this person's Saul here. In fact, again, the Greek words used to describe this action is actually an animal, a wild animal mangling its prey. This havoc that he used. Paul was proud of what he did. He hunted the church. He persecuted the church like a wild animal pursuing a prey. It's very interesting that when Christ meets Saul on the road to Damascus, he compares him to a wild beast and says, Paul, you're kicking against the goats. You're a wild beast. Remember, the goat was something that they used to get the cattle and stuff to move, and they used to stick it a couple times when it wouldn't move, and the animals would kick against it. He said, you're a wild beast. Saul's approval and enjoyment of the stoning of Stephen just shows at what length he's going to go to achieve what he thought was a purpose. And we later read in the book of Acts that he persecuted men and women to death, Acts 22, verse 4. He went into the houses and the synagogues in chapter 22, verse 19. He had the believers imprisoned and beaten in 22, 19 and 26, 9 and 11. If they renounced their faith, he let them go because he caused them to blaspheme. If they didn't renounce their faith, he had them killed. And years later, Paul would describe himself in Acts 26, verse 11, as exceedingly mad against them. He was a blasphemer because Paul denounced the name of Jesus Christ as a persecutor. He was injurious. He was violent, he says in 1 Timothy 1. But God showed him mercy, God showed him grace. He is the last person in Jerusalem that they would have chosen to be uh, apostle to the Gentile. He's the very, very last person that you would have chosen to take the message of salvation to somebody else. The very, very last person. But staying with my Isaiah 55, verse 8. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. He's different than our, and i got news for you right now. There are many, many people in my life, in those B.C. days before Christ, if they walked through that door and saw me standing up here preaching the Word of God, their mouths would drop, and they would be in awe, like, what? You have to understand the grace of God and what God has done in our lives. Finally, in verse 4 it says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the Word. You know, when you see the word therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. It means everything that happened beforehand. Everything that happened, they were were scattered. Because of the persecution, the disciples were scattered. But they took the word of God with them everywhere they went, and they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice back in verse 1, though, it said that they were all scattered except the apostles. I believe that the apostles stayed behind because, you know what? They weren't going to run again. The apostles, they weren't going to run again. They had all fled when Christ was was arrested. Remember? Every single one of them ran away except for John. And you know, they were saying, you know what? We're not running anymore. We're staying. We're going to face this this time. We're not running away. This eventually leads to death, especially for James, the brother of John, in Acts 12. He becomes the first apostle who is martyred. There's an interesting story that according to Josephus, that James had been falsely accused just like Stephen. But there's a great story here. The man who had a falsely accused him, after James was found guilty and on his way to being beheaded, this man repented and asked for forgiveness from the apostle. And and because he was encouraged by his 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 passion, because he was encouraged about what he said, and because he was encouraged by the fact that he was going to die and he's still proclaiming Jesus Christ, he knew that he had to be real. And this man converted to the Christianity there on the spot. And he came to James and he said, "Please." Please accept my apology. I want to know this Jesus. He was born there on the spot as they walked. And he repented. And they said, okay, you're dying with him. And he said, good. I don't want James to die alone. James kissed him and said, peace be with you. And they were both beheaded. What did he see in James? He saw a passion. What did he hear from James? He heard the word of God. And it changed his life, even but for a brief moment. But his life will be changed forever and ever. So the persecution begins, and the Word of God spreads. Today, where persecution exists, the Word of God continues to be spread with great effectiveness as believers with a simple message, with an inner desire to live for Christ and to exemplify His life in theirs, and having this passion continue to risk their lives and share His Word in other kingdoms. Go on the website, Voice of the Martyrs. I mean, look at there. Go on the website, Gospel for Asia. These websites are chock full of people who are being persecuted and killed for their faith. Today, it's happening. But they know the cost. And they know that the cost could be their life, but what was at stake was eternal life for those that they were talking to. They weighed the cost. We must not let persecution stop Christianity today. We must not face this violent persecution that's coming our way unprepared. We need to have a passion for God. We need to have the Word of God so tightly bound in our hearts. And a change has taken such place in our lives that we can meet this. And when the persecution happens, notice I said when the persecution happens. I didn't say if. I said when. remember our story from the beginning. California's cracking down on Bible studies. Peter, in 1 Peter 4, verse 4, he describes this mindset of those who socially persecute Christians. And a lot of us have been persecuted socially. They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. They can't understand why you don't want to party with them anymore. They think you're strange. If we are not willing to have other people think us strange if we are not willing to be rejected by some for the sake of Jesus Christ, if we are not willing to be an outcast before some people, then we can't be true followers of Jesus Christ. We cannot be true followers. When persecution comes, rely on the Word of God. The Word of God will change you deep within. When persecution comes, have a passion for God that can't be quenched. Have a passion for his word. Have a passion for his people. Have a passion for the lost. Do you have a passion for the lost? Those that are going to hell today? Stand firm in your belief and follow hard after him. And I love this song. To know and follow hard after him. I want to grow as your disciple in the truth. The world's empty, pale, and pure, poor compared to knowing you. Lead me on. Lead me on. I want to follow you, Lord. I want to follow you. That's passion. Give me that passion, Lord, that I might follow you, regardless of the cost, regardless of what it looks like to other people, regardless of what men and women say about me. I want you and you alone to be exalted in my life, and I don't care what it looks like. I want you to be exalted in my life. You are a sure
0: hope. Our time with you is running short for today's edition of A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave will continue this journey through the book of Acts when you join us next time. But for now, you can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We'd encourage you to download these messages so they are available wherever you are. We know how busy life can get, but there's always a time to pause, even if only for a few minutes. Those short breaks could be filled with the study of God's Word and the uncovering of treasures from its verses. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, gaining access to the latest messages as soon as they're posted. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you come join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May meets weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. And we offer nursery and Sunday school where your children will be well cared for as they learn about the love of Jesus. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Thanks for listening to today's message from the book of Acts. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the word and that you'll discover Jesus working in your life. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another in-depth look at this New Testament book right here on A Sure Hope.